Welcome to the Spirited Advocate podcast, brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the leading voice for the distilled spirits industry. Now your host, Chris Wonger. Hi, Spirited Advocate podcast listeners. Guess what we have today? It's Roll Tide Day, because we've got Josh Hammond, the president of operations of Buster's Liquors right outside of Memphis, Tennessee. A family-owned business, they've won Retailer of the Year Award multiple times. It's, a, it's amazing. And Josh and his team at Buster's have been leading, you know, all the challenges through the pandemic and all of the above. But most importantly, let me just say this, and, you know, some may argue with this, but brand building starts on the off-premise, right, in the retail outlets. Some could argue brand building, you know, kicks off on the on-premise, and maybe that is the case for some brands, but really brands are built in the off-premise and great outlets like Buster's. So with that, Josh, thank you. And I just should say, uh, University of Alabama grad, uh, before Josh and I kicked off, he's shaking his fist. He and I were talking about uh, Bama football and so forth. So Josh, thank you for being here. And uh, thank you for all you do on behalf of the Discus member companies and building our member companies, great brands. And thank you for being here. Yeah, well, uh, thanks, Chris. Um, look, enjoy the opportunity to come share you know, some insights and, and represent the retail sector. So, um, and, and tell our story about our, you know, about our store. So thanks for this opportunity. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about your background. How did, how did, how did you get into the role that you landed? You've done some amazing work, just managing the SKUs and all of that type of stuff, but take us back to the university of Alabama first. And then oh. uh, you did say a little bit when you were over 21, you majored in party a little bit but obviously you got a business degree so you're a smart cookie <laughs> so tell us a little bit about how your trajectory how you got to where you are today well I tell you um Alabama is, is, is in a special school no doubt and uh and it's a lot of fun so um I guess in short um I did wake up at some point and and managed to graduate and uh um, and, uh, you know, out of the business school with a marketing degree and a minor in communication. And, um, so, um, but, you know, as far as, you know, getting into the business and after graduation, uh, I really wasn't too sure what I was planning on doing. Uh, I just, I just remember coming home to tell my dad, I was so excited to tell him I had graduated and, uh, he looked at me and said, son, that's great. What are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I think, uh, take a little vacation, go out to Colorado and find myself. And he was like, son, that's, that's not half bad. He goes, can I tell you something? And I was like, what's that? He goes, you've been on vacation for five years. <laughs> ah. he goes, you can find yourself at the store at eight o'clock in the morning. And, uh, you know, I was like, dad, that's Saturday. And he goes, son, <laughs> what? biggest day of the week. So he, he, he gave me till Monday and, uh, you know, hard to believe that that was 28 years ago. So, um, it's, it's been a quite a, quite an honor to work in a family business, carry on, you know, his legacy and my grandfather's, uh, work in a family business and, uh, you know, and then what a journey as well. Right. I mean, to look back and think of all the places I've been, um, you know, throughout the world, wine country, um, you know, all the way to the Italy, U.S. all over, right. Uh, yeah, Chile, and, and Chile, yeah. Chile, France, um, Italy, you know, all up, all up and down California, such a beautiful state. 
um, you know, Oregon, uh, Washington State, you know, just to get out and see our own country at the same time. So um, it's really been phenomenal, right? It really does, this industry really does take you places. And, uh, you know, another case in point, I had an incredible Forrest Gump moment, um, you know, uh, attending the U.S. Supreme Court hearing uh, on the Tennessee case. Um, wow. Yeah. And, and so that was, you know, quite fascinating to see the pinnacle of our legal uh, system, our judicial system uh, at work. And, uh, you know, it didn't, didn't turn out the way we had planned. But um, again, you know, where it takes you is, is pretty wild. Josh, tell us about, I mean, brand building really does start uh, in the off-premise in so many regards. And just over the past 15 years, consumers have really gravitated to distilled spirits. Uh, just tell us about that journey and how you've kind of witnessed that on the front lines, right? I mean, Tennessee's a unique state uh, because uh, certainly, uh, uh, you know, there's an element of the Bible Belt, certainly. Uh, but uh, consumers have really gravitated to distilled spirits and obviously gravitated to busters as well. Uh, could you just uh, share some insights on that? Yeah, well, um, it, it is fascinating to see what's going on in the spirits industry. And that's not to um, uh, demean wine and beer. There's certainly a place at the table for, for, for those categories as well. And we're, we're seeing some great things in those, um, in those two segments. But you know, spirits right now is, is clearly um, on a boom and, uh, you know, really on fire because of this bourbon craze. And, um, you know, I've got to give, honestly, a lot of, a lot of credit to, to our friend Mark Brown at Buffalo Trace. And, and the reason I say this is because, you know, I first kind of met him in 2001 um, and uh, I was encouraged to go up there and see Buffalo Trace Distillery. I didn't know anything about it. He actually gave myself and my sister a tour that afternoon, um, and then it culminated into a, a, an incredible, enchanting dinner in the, the log cabin on site at the distillery um, with Elmer T. That night, um, it started snowing. Wow. It was started snowing, and it was just really incredible. But but moreover, I want to I want to say kind of switch into two things. One, you know, why why do I get involved in, with you know the TDSRA, you know the ABL? you know, why do I feel like, you know, retailers need a voice at the table? And it was something Mark Brown actually said to me that night. And I had asked him, I said, you know, my dad sits on the board of the of a state association, but he's not really that active anymore. And I, I was curious, what do you think about me? You know, should I take over his seat? You know, I don't, I'm not sure I see much value in it. And he looked at me and he said, Josh, you know, before you answer that question, you need to answer yourself another question. And uh, I said, okay, what is it? And he's like, do you want to make decisions for your business or do you want others making it for you? And that's was, it. I got it. That's it. And uh, so that that's been some great motivation for me and hopefully for other retailers to think about their business. Um, but then to also get back to the original question and to see, you know, where this industry has come from and to have a like really a bird's eye view of it, having been so close to Mark Brown and still to this day, um, you know, um, great relationship with Buffalo Trace is that you know, we've been able to see, you know, all these brands that are growing that have been a result of, you know, uh, retailers having access to product and, and building brands. And, um, you know, some of the things that are going on in the industry with, you know, innovation and new product. Totally. And, and that just, you know, has made it really exciting for the consumer who has now changed the way they look at, Absolutely. at their, you know, at their buying and their purchasing, they're exploring more. Um, it's no longer the, 
the James Bond effect of having a signature drink. And that's what you go by each and every, you know, night yep. when you decide to consume a beverage. Um, people are really willing to explore. And so that's, that's been fascinating to see the enthusiast who is, is almost like, uh, you know, building their own wine cellar, but now they're building, building spirit cellars. And totally. Uh, and, 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 you know, that's, that's just, it's just been fun. It's been a, a lot of excitement and, and created, um, enjoyment for the industry for for us as as brand builders right and, and for the retailer to share those stories and to share those products and and, to, and relate that to the consumer as well well you look at it uh, just yesterday i was with nicole austin uh with george dickel and uh i mean as she is breaking glass ceilings and uh, did a tasting they have a new bourbon that's coming out George Dickel bourbon, but their Tennessee whiskey has won all kinds of awards. You look yep. what uh, Bill Samuels and the Maker's Mark family has done. And certainly, yep. you know, when you talk about Tennessee, you got to talk about Lynchburg and Jack Daniels and what they've yep. done with Whitford Reserve out of Kentucky and so forth. It's just really amazing. And you see today uh, the, the consumer interest for bourbon has not has not uh, shied away one bit. That 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 consumer interest for American whiskey and bourbon is still as strong as ever. Yeah, well, you know, in Tennessee, I mean, we're 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 like Kentucky's little brother, right? I mean, we've yeah. got Big Brother Jack that's in our state, but um, you know, we've always been drinking bourbon here, and so um, it's it's really kind of neat to see that you know, being so close to Kentucky, we do get access to a lot of bourbon that a lot of the country doesn't. Um, and, 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 and so that's kind of special, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we got store picks where, you know, we've got George Dickel store picks in the, in the store right now. We just got a few and, and they're just incredible. Uh, my brother and a few of our team are going to be at makers tomorrow morning. Um, they're up in Loretta in Loretta, yeah. Kentucky, yeah. picking out some stuff and they're in Bardstown today. So I was supposed to be on that trip, but we're going to, um, spend some time with you today, Chris. And uh, God bless I'm, you. I'm, yeah, well, I'm confident in their abilities. My, my brother has been Morgan and, you know, that's who we, we, you know, we're third generation around the company, but he's really kind of spearheaded um, that single barrel uh, store pick movement. We, we were probably one of the first in the country to be doing it with, uh, I feel like it was us and Benny's, you know, out of Chicago wow. that in uh, early 2001, 2002, Oh, um, wow. I didn't. Okay. That's amazing. I mean, because that thing is just taken off like a rocket ship. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, right? it's, it's the thing now, but we've been doing it all along before we even realized it was cool. Uh, I think my brother knew it was cool um, and knew it added, you know, uh, value and quality for the consumer. Um, you know, I personally have been uh, a, a bourbon kind of mixer drinker, so to speak, but uh, last few years, I've really enjoyed drinking them neat and straight and getting to discover the product for what it is. And so that's been a fascinating part. But that's something like my brother has been doing all along. So he's got sure. a, a great palate for that stuff. And we have some awesome store picks. Josh, there's been, a, obviously, you've witnessed the boom of craft distilling around the country. And that has also taken place in Tennessee as well. What, with that variable, obviously, uh, broaden homegrown uh, distilleries in the state. How do y'all navigate, because you want to look after your brothers and sisters from the volunteer state, obviously, but then there's just the natural consumer interest for the well-known brands as well. Uh, does that create opportunities for uh, busters uh, uh, or does that create some challenges? Obviously, when you have a, 
a craft distillery that's just starting up and they're trying to get consumer interest. And obviously they're looking for that great shelf space at, at a Buster's. How do you navigate all of that? Is that uh, an opportunity or does that create some complexities for you to, to, to just make sure you're providing uh, your customers the brands that they want? Yeah, well, um, you know, there, there's a lot of like sought after highly allocated bourbons and, and that is, is probably the toughest part about what's going on. Um, it's hard to tell customers, no, I don't have enough to spread around um, and, and not come through for them. Um, on the flip side, yeah, you have a lot of new entrants. There's going to be, you know, new bourbons entering the market. Um, and, and, and so it, it, that creates some opportunity to, to please those customers as well. Um, and uh, who, who probably are looking for more affordability than, than spending uh, dollars on, on highly allocated products. But um, it's just been fascinating to see. We literally have reps now that have come in our store and that day they're saying, hey, you know, we've got some picks we'd like for you to taste and, and sure. barrel. You know, this used to be a long drawn out process and without notice, they're coming into the store saying, hey, this is what we can offer you. And we'll sit down and taste and go, wow, this is this is this is this is good stuff. Let's do it. You know, and so just to be able to move that quickly on some of this and um, it just it, it does, again, create that kind of excitement for the consumer, for us. But uh, it's out there and and so much more of it, it, it seems to be coming online. So it'll be. You know, it'll be fascinating to see what happens over the next 10 years, um, given what I said earlier, that seems like a lot of products aren't hitting the entire country uh, at this level, as far as bourbon's concerned, that, um, that there, there's the room for growth. And, and I, I, don't, I don't see this stopping anytime soon. Really Absolutely. Don't. You know, getting back to what uh, Mark Brown had advised you a while back. Uh, I think it was John Bonovich. I was at the Texas Package Store Association Conference this past couple of days. And John said something like, I may have this a little bit wrong, but uh, you know, you can ignore politics, but politics isn't going to ignore you and you better engage or they're going to get in your business, right? Yeah. Uh, and for our listeners, you know, anytime you have business partnerships, there's, you know, first and foremost, it all gets down to the partnership. And the, and the importance of the collaboration between the supplier tier, distribution tier, and our retail tier. And every once in a while, sometimes there's been tensions on public policy issues uh, between Discus and ABL or retailers or distributor partners and so forth. But what I was reminded of just being in Texas and talking to you, at the end of the day, we're partners, right? And our our shared common value is to grow the pie for everybody, whether it's the supplier tier and the distributor tier, and of course our retail tier. And there really is no supplement. You know, the world has changed dramatically over the past year and a half because of the pandemic. It remains to be seen if the world's gonna kind of settle back down to where it was before March 13th, 2020 or if some of the significant changes in, in the beverage alcohol marketplace uh, is really gonna be adopted by consumers. Uh, uh, talk about if you could, and then maybe we can get into some of, some of the issues that are, are, are gonna create some challenges and potential opportunities uh, for all three tiers. Uh, 
with a fast changing marketplace. But uh, ABL has been on the front lines with, with you and your leadership and John Bonovich, you know, making sure to advocate for the interests of the retail sector. Could you just talk a little bit about that? And then maybe we can get into some of the issues that we as longtime partners are gonna have to think about. Yeah, so, um, you know, hats off to John Bonovich as well. He, he's such a great resource. He's a great spokesman for the retail sector. I, I'm, I'm always amazed at how he's able to present the issues to uh, the members at the ABL. So he's a, he does a, a fantastic job leading that organization for us. Um, and, and, you know, um, yeah, so I guess when it comes down to some of the issues we're dealing with and some of those hard discussions you're talking about is, you know, this direct to consumer for the distilleries and that, you know, what does that mean for the partnership between retailers yep. and supplier? Um, you know, clearly that um, kind of creates a contradiction in that partnership. I mean, it creates us as uh, competitors to some extent. Um, you know, I think the concern is, you know, how far does this end up going over time? Um, clearly, it's going to be a small segment, but, you know, it's, 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 it seems today that the industry is moving so fast with so many changes. And, you know, the concern is who has the ability to, to be fast movers of consumer goods? And clearly a distillery can probably do that with direct shipment, right? So, yeah. um, you know, that, that, that's, that, that's, you know, it's shifting profits from the retailer over to the manufacturer. Yeah. They kind of take some of that back. Um, and from what we have, uh, have grown over time, it's been an incredible story of the um, uh, alcohol industry in America. Um, and there's going to continue to be challenges. Um, and, you know, we've seen so much change in the last five years, it seems like, especially in Tennessee. So, um, uh, you know, it's just it's important to have these conversations. And Chris, I remember when, when I first met you, you walked into yeah. the lion's den uh, of the ABL. Um, I remember that in DC, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. I remember. And, and uh, you, you approached at the Washington that very, Hilton at the Washington. I was nervous too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You, you approached that very, uh, very, very, very deftly. Is that right? Is that the right word? But yeah, um, yeah no, I, I can appreciate your comments and I remember them um, about having uh, the, the hard discussions and to open up the conversation about this. Um, I don't think it's any hidden secret that, you know, how retailers feel about direct shipment from distilleries and the overall concern there. So I don't, I won't beat you up anymore about that, but uh, you know, I, I do applaud your efforts and how you approach uh, uh, it, the conversation in a, in a civil manner. I think we need a lot more of that in the key in the, in the U S today, but uh you know, um, you, you've got your things that you're doing to support your efforts and, and your members. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to kind of continue to do that on our end as well and see where uh, things end up um, going. Yeah, we'll roll up our sleeves. So well, let me let me just say this for the record. And, you know, some that may have a differing view may uh, may take this statement with uh, a bit of suspicion, obviously. But look, uh, on behalf of uh, discus and our member companies we all recognize my board has recognized it all starts and ends with the strong foundation of the three-tier system right i mean that has been the hallmark the benchmark the foundation of what has made the u.s beverage alcohol marketplace so successful profitable 
and regulated and responsible for, for the industry. So when the world kind of changed dramatically on us uh, over, over the past year and a half, uh, obviously, uh, you know, the, the, the great American success story of the craft distilling movement over the past 15 years, you know, I think there is a view uh, on, behalf of, on behalf of Discus that there are opportunities to modify uh, the three-tier system to meet consumer demands, but we need to do it with eyes wide open because what we don't want to do is create uh, or be a building block to create uh, an unregulated marketplace, right? The taxes need to be paid. Product needs to be delivered to those over legal drinking age. We believe that uh, uh, DTC in some form can be a building block to drive more customers to our on and off premise retail outlets and so forth, because uh, there are opportunities for consumers to try a selected brand. Uh, there's opportunities for craft distillers, but that's where we as an industry, we're gonna have to come together and kind of navigate this and figure this out. Uh, yeah. I know an issue uh, that is of concern is illicit alcohol. And, uh, you know, here in the United States, uh, uh, we've, we've been immune from the challenges associated with illicit alcohol, unlike other markets, whether it's in uh, uh, the Dominican Republic where there's been challenges or India and so forth. And uh, those, those stories, what you hear in, in, in the press clips are horrific. So yeah. it's a lot that our industry needs to think about. I mean, we also need to appreciate that when you look at DTC, it does change the profit pool a little bit. And consumers have you know, a certain amount of expendable dollars, right? And we just, it, it, the, the supplier tier needs to be respectful and think about uh, the the changing business dynamics that this is going to impose on our on our retail partners as well. Uh, would you want to talk about a little bit about your concerns related to illicit alcohol and yeah. uh, how we together have to always be on point to get ahead of that? Well, you know, and that that's the reason I feel like when it comes to you know when you talk about DTC for distilleries. Um, you know, it's probably, you know, there's, it's going to have to be a fine balancing act and you are going to have to watch out for making sure we have great safeguards and regulations um, to protect the public and, and, and maybe for states to get their fair share of taxes, so to speak. So, um, but, you know, anytime you open up more shipment, I mean, it's, it's going to allow for more bad actors into the marketplace. Um, and, you know, who, so the, the concern there, and I've like, again, I've done a lot of my own research and continue to do it, but it is amazing how much shipment of alcohol is out there. Um, you know, just in Tennessee, you're not, you're not allowed to ship liquor into Tennessee and it is done on a daily basis. Um, wow. By, by a lot of retailers. Um, you know, there's, and, and so. This is coming from retailers, retailers out of state, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there, there's there's a ton of them, and um, you know I'm not going to get in here and name them today. Sure. But meanwhile, you know my my hands are tied. I'm not allowed to ship, and I feel like I'm getting punched in the face because it's it's an unfair competitive advantage they have over me. Um, so you know my concern is you know where are the regulators and where's the enforcement with some of this stuff? 
Um, you know, so on that subject and knowing that I've done all this research, um, you know, we actually passed common car carrier reporting in 2017. Now, you know, that doesn't deal with the illegal shipments because, yeah. you know, those, those shipments are kind of being hidden. Um, yeah. uh, not hit, you know, they're not showing up as alcohol. Whereas, you know, a lot of the folks on those reports are trying to be complicit at least. Yeah. Um, they are showing that it's alcohol. Um, then it just comes a matter, are they complicit with Tennessee law? Are they really where that, you know, do they hold the license to actually ship into Tennessee? Um, you know, so I guess what we've done in Tennessee, we've done a lot of work to kind of clean up some of that with the fulfillment bill this year, um, to clean up the direct shippers license, which is the winery direct shippers license. Um, that's who that license is supposed to be for. It's not supposed to be for online retailers. It's not supposed to be for fulfillment companies, you know, and this is, you know, um, a challenge because as the industry moves so fast, what we figured out was, you know, what looked like a really good law in 2009, which was the winery direct shippers license turned into this incredible, huge uh, shipping industry into Tennessee. And, um, and so, you know, we had to take a look at that. So I think you're going to see more states kind of grapple with that and kind of, kind of, kind of look at seeing what's going on. And, and so that would be my point of interest for, you know, kind of like pumping the brakes on distillery direct shipment, because, you know, why are we trying to open up so much more when there really is so much um, illegal and uh, irresponsible shipping going on? So, you know, I don't have all the answers for that. I think, you know, continued research is going to be needed um, and, uh, you know, more dialogue with, you know, ABCs, um, that, you know, alcohol yeah. commissions and, uh, and, and regulators and, and just and legislators for that matter so that they can pass you know, uh, laws that can actually be enforced, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, just like you said, I mean, enforcement is the key in everything related to beverage alcohol, right? Uh, because right. if you don't have uh, strong enforcement provisions, a part of it, you know, there, there's going to naturally be potentially some bad actors out there, right? right. And uh, we all share the commitment of uh, making sure consumers can try new products in one way or the other, uh, but do it in a way where the product is safe and it's it's being done with responsible legal, legal purchase uh, age consumers. And with busters being on the front line, y'all have full control of that, obviously, because y'all are checking IDs when somebody walks through the door, right? Yeah. Or y'all won't serve somebody that maybe has overserved themselves, right? Yeah. Exactly. As a responsible retailer, that's your, you know, that's what you're supposed to be doing is, is not serve to someone that is, is clearly under the influence of alcohol or drugs, um, uh, acting belligerent, um, strangely. So, you know, those are the things that we work hard to train our staff on um, to make sure that we're being uh, quite ethical in our sales, quite frankly. Um, Absolutely. Uh, so, Josh, uh, you are going to be partnering with Responsibility.org, and thank you for your leadership on that with the We Don't Serve Teens uh, platform. Uh, that really came to light probably in 2009, 2010, and we've yep. been working with the Federal Trade Commission to roll it out uh, this fall. Uh, first and foremost, I just want to thank you for your leadership in working with the Tennessee retailers. Uh, to roll that out. Uh, look, responsibility is, is a shared interest by all of us. And well, uh, could you just talk about uh, Buster's view on responsibility and so forth? 
Yeah. So no, it, it definitely is. And look, being in the industry, um, you know, we, we have a happy industry, right? Most of our consumers yeah. are done. Uh, they're coming to buy libations for, you know, a celebration uh, for enjoyment, um, you know, and, and but we can't turn our eye to the folks that um, are, are clearly maybe buying it um, uh, for other, um, you know, negative aspects, so to speak. And, and or maybe you, you turn people away sometimes. Right. Uh, I remember you telling me you, you'll say thanks, but no thanks. Right. Yeah, you know, uh, this is how this conversation kind of got started. While we I remember. were having this podcast, it was Memorial Day. You sent out uh, with, through responsibility.org uh, the public service announcement, uh, and, and it, it was an awareness uh, uh, piece uh, just to take a moment. And I thought that was really nicely put. Uh, take a moment to uh, reflect on uh, maybe your own drinking, maybe um, those around you that you may be concerned for, and to uh, you know, take, take a pause to say, hey, look, if someone needs help and, and you know, we want to be part of that resource to get them the kind of um, help they maybe need. Um, you know, it, it was dear to me because, you know, being in the industry, I, I do see that from time to time, right? I yeah. mean, you, you might have the customer that's functioning, um, that's, that's in quite a bit, um, you know, so to speak, is toting the line um, and, uh, you know, maybe by virtue of uh, observing their purchases are, are clearly, you know, over-consuming, um, you know, so the concern becomes, okay, oh, do we really want these folks dollars or do we really care about their health uh, yeah. as well? And so, you know, when, when is the right moment to kind of step in, you know, to say something, to, say, to show that you care? Um, and then how do you do it? You know, um, that's not an easy thing to tough, answer. Tough judgment calls. Yeah. Because you never know how that individual will react, right? Uh, because is, clearly they may need some help, right? That, that's exactly it. And, you know, they don't know if they're all of a sudden they'll just, you know, lambast you and or, or hit right. you or whatever. I mean, so, um, you know, thankfully, in, in my observations over 28 years, I have uh, run into maybe a handful of experiences that um, I felt I needed to say something. And, um yeah. Each and every time I did it, um, I, I know that I walked uh, pretty much outside. We have a nice little front canopy in front of our, our, our store with the overhang of the building. But, um, you know, I'll just walk out there and, and just kind of, you know, talk to them a little bit. And Hey, uh, I'm worried about you, right? I'm worried about you. how they're doing. Say, I'm worried about you. You know, I care yeah. about your health and I, I you know, yeah. I want to be nosy. But, you know, if it's something you're struggling with, um, I would like to, you know, be a part of that solution. Uh, for you. And um, each and every time it's been met with the utmost courtesy. And a few times those people have come back months later saying, you know, that's, that's, all, you. that's all I needed was just one person to show that I cared. And so, um, you know, for me, I think it's important. I've seen the effects, right? I mean, you know, you can't be in this industry and not see people that have succumbed to it, quite frankly. And, yeah. um, and so, and, and the ultimate tragic way. And so, um, that's something we all as retailers, part of the industry, have to recognize and to um, see what we can do to do our part. And for that matter, you know, I've got I've actually have an awareness page on our website, which features some resources. Um, and uh, I kind of started out with a, a busterism. My grandfather, um, he always would tell me, he goes, boy, he goes, alcohol. It's like a grizzly bear. He goes, you can wrestle with it all you want, but you ain't ever going to win. <laughs> so, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. You know, and so Good we, for your grandpa. Yeah. So we've got a we've got a neat little page kind of designed. We're going to continue working on it. 
we've included the responsibility.org um, uh, link to all the resources that y'all have at that at that particular site, which is really great. I, I would challenge you guys and discus and, and, and retailers. I'd love to be a part of that if, if we could figure out you know, uh, a message to, to help retailers deal with that particular issue so that they could be a little more proactive. Um, I think a lot of retailers would like that, quite frankly. Interesting. Uh, well, that's a, that's a good one because responsibility.org has historically been focused on preventing underage drinking, preventing drunk driving. Uh, this morning I had uh, breakfast with the, the new CEO of Mothers Against Drunk Driving, a, gr a, gr a great person and looking forward to working with her and then promoting responsibility. We have started to get involved and engaged on issues related to alcohol use disorder. Uh, so I'm gonna take that away as, a, as, as an action step that maybe responsibility.org could provide some resources for our retailer colleagues uh, uh, in, in how to maybe give you all the tools on how to manage that because there are people out there that uh, that that can't win that battle with the grizzly bear, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, most consumers enjoy beverage alcohol responsibly and it brings people together to have a good time and so forth. But we also know, and we shouldn't run away from the fact that there's, there's individuals that really struggle with it and uh, it's gotta be a community effort to help them. No, no uh, doubt. In this day and age, we're, you know, we can't turn a blind eye to that. You know, I read the report last week, 17 million people, you know, struggle with alcohol in some form or manner. I, I, that was staggering to me, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, with retailers being on the front line, I think that would be a really worthy cause and we can make an incredible impact. Absolutely. Okay. For fun. Yes. Let's get to the fun. Two, two best games, two best games, your aha moments is an Alabama fan. Is, <laughs> is there one or two games that like you were like, oh my God. I mean, there's so many, obviously, because mm -hmm. roll tide rolls, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. But give us give us your best game where like that the moment was like, oh, oh mercy. And then give us your uh, if you don't mind, your one heartbreak moment. Uh, uh, which just hit you to the core. I'm a cowboy fan. You're a cowboy fan too, but yep. let's talk about Alabama. Okay. So I, I guess if I had a couple of games that I really enjoyed, um, look, uh, my, my last year in college it was the 92 season, and I got to travel to, to nine or, or 10, nine of the 13 games that year, including the SEC championship and the championship game in New Orleans against Miami. Uh, the SEC championship was against Florida. It was in Birmingham at the at the Steel uh, Monikered Stadium in Birmingham. Yeah, and, and Miami was a powerhouse at that time too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They had just come off winning, you know, what four championships in the last, you know, ten to twelve years. Yeah. Um, you know, we had actually played them my freshman year in '89. We were ten and zero, and that probably led to my heartbreak. I mean. Um, we were 10 and 0. We ended up losing to Auburn that at the end of the season, bumped us down. We ended up playing number two, Miami. Um, we had a chance, an outside chance, maybe to win the national championship if we won that game. But I went down to that game in New Orleans and it was just the atmosphere was so incredible. Um, you know, roll tides up and down Bourbon Street. Oh, and, um, you know, so that was so much fun. But we, we lost that game. 
So, you know, my last year in college, I looked at my roommate and I said, hey, what do you want to do this last year? And we shared ideas. And I was like, well, I, you know, like all that, we've been doing all that for <laughs> all this time. I want something different. I want to go back down to New Orleans and, and see see Miami. And lo and behold, I get I get my, my wish. Uh, we beat Florida with an incredible, you know, interception play by Antonio Langham. Um, to He was to, awesome. He was prime. Uh, yep. Yeah. And um, and then. Uh, and it was George Teague in the championship game uh, against Miami. Oh my goodness! I remember we had uh, scored in the in the beginning of the third quarter, and we were kind of taking a resounding lead at that point. And it was just nuts. I go up to get a couple of beverages, and I come back down. I'm watching the next play. Uh, you got Geno a game. Geno Toretta steps back, throws it over the middle. The whole place erupts. I'm so close to the action, within 15 feet of me. Um, you know, George Teague's running into the end zone with the ball. And I tell you what, it was nuts. I just threw it all up. Ran <laughs> 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 back to the, uh, to the stands to hug my friends. And, and that was probably the best moment uh, I've ever experienced in college football. How, uh, I hate to even bring this up, but uh, the famous uh, Auburn-Alabama game where they ran it in for a touchdown on that kickoff. Uh, no, it was the field goal try. Yes. That must have been crushing, right? I, look, I've got a bunch of them being a Cowboy fan. The white part, the whole bit, but uh, that had to have been a crushing moment, right? Oh, man, I tell you, we uh, that was unreal. Um, after that game, you know, we were on our way to a three-peat um, before that play. And, I remember. And I just remember after it happened, we were stunned. And, uh, yeah, there was a few of us that walked right over the bar and started making a, a cocktail. And I looked up at my friend, he goes, I don't know what they're all concerned about. That just saved us several thousand dollars from having to follow them to the national there championship. You go. And, you know, listen, I look out on the bright side. Being an Alabama fan, it can get expensive uh, following them in the postseason each and every year. So, um, no, it, 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 it's fine. But, yeah, that what a stunner that was. Um, and actually, I tell you, the biggest stunner that I got to participate in was being up 24 to nothing on Auburn, the same team. Uh, and Cam Newton came back in Tuscaloosa and beat us. Um, I remember that. Never scored I remember that. Point. He was just going, ooh. <laughs> so. Tough. Now, now at Buster's, y'all serve Auburn fans too, right? And volunteer right. fans, right? You don't distinguish with one or the other? No, 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 no. We, we serve all kinds up at Buster's. Uh, Clearly, we've got a lot of UT fans, a ton of Memphis fans, right? Um, you know, Memphis, uh, U of M is, is right down the street from us. Um, but, you know, we're also a SEC uh, uh, hotbed, so to speak. Yeah. With Ole Miss fans, Mississippi State fans, um, Arkansas fans, Vandy fans. Uh, it is just an amazing city to, to watch SEC football and, of course, our home team, the Tigers. So Awesome. Yeah. So I got two closing questions. So if you could have one cocktail, now I know you don't want to name a particular brand because you represent a lot of them, but yeah. what's your favorite cocktail? And at this very moment, if you could be anywhere in the world, uh, where would you be? Uh, could be <laughs> right there, right, right there in Memphis, but uh, yeah. your favorite cocktail and where would you want to have that cocktail at this Where moment? would I want to have that cocktail? Well, I thought about those questions. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the cocktail that I actually order the most does represent a brand. Um, 
And it's funny, I got turned on to it um, years ago. The true way to make it is with a lemon peel, but I actually do prefer an orange peel. Um, and because I didn't have an orange in the house this morning, um, I, I had to garnish it with a lemon. Oh, I like that. I like okay. that. So this is uh, a little bit of a mocktail for you since it's, a, it's in the morning, but um, sure. this would be the Sazerac. That's what I like to drink. Um, it's really a delicious cocktail. Um, and so I, I got hooked on it probably 15 years ago. And it seems to be the one cocktail that I kind of continue to come back to. It's, you know, I'll try an old fashioned, I'll, I'll, I'll try a, a number of different things, but it's like that, that cocktail to me is the one I like. And I really have got well done. And where it. would you be uh, anywhere in the world? Uh, in any particular place or are you well, like just I, being at home? It's funny. Um, no, if I, if I could be on the back of a boat on a lake, um, you know, enjoying not some skin, that would be fun. I'm not sure uh, a, a liquor on the lake uh, is probably the call, but I do love to water ski and to be on a lake. I don't get to do it as much as I used to. But if I had one special place um, that I've had uh, wanted to go for a long time, it would be to Portofino. I've always seen pictures of oh, it. Oh, very nice. And, um, you know, I just want to, I want to drive there one day and arrive and have a cocktail, watch the sunset. And, and, and then maybe go back. <laughs> it's not bad. A small, quaint little community. But if, and if I do get there, I might change the drink over to the Negroni, which uh, also has a little bit of that orange peel that I like. Can't go wrong with that Negroni. Uh, Campari, Campari. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Well, look, Josh, uh, one last plug. Uh, the ABL conference is going to be in New Orleans. I think it's October 16th and the 17th. Yes. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there with John and everybody. And uh, uh, just really on behalf of the Discus membership, we appreciate all that you do, your leadership at ABL and your active support in advocating uh, for retailers, advocating for the long-term health and viability of the industry, for great brand building that you do on behalf of all of our member companies. And look, we'll work through some of these issues that have kind of fell upon us for sure, just because uh, a very fast changing marketplace. And we'll always keep top of mind of the important things that have made this industry successful. So Josh, on behalf of Discus, thank you for your leadership and thank you for Busters for all that you do. And a great cheers. Chris, thank you for the opportunity to share our insights and, uh, and have a discussion with you and represent the retail sector. Thank you. You got it. And we'll see you in New Orleans. All right. Thank you. <laughs> the Spirited Advocate podcast was brought to you by the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States. If you'd like to be a guest speaker on the show or send us topic suggestions to cover, please contact us at podcast at distilledspirits.org. And please like and share these episodes. Your support is very appreciated.